0: Listening to a podcast from St Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received, Amen. Tonight we're we're marking the feast of St Benedict. It, it actually falls tomorrow on a, on July 11th, but we push it back to the closest Sunday, which always manages to coincide with Folk Festival Sunday. But uh, I don't know, maybe people were getting tired of the festival because there's lots of us here. That's good this year. Rather serendipitously, the lectionary has us reading the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a teaching that has deep resonance in the Benedictine vision. Of course, the lectionary also has us reading from the writings of that decidedly hard-nosed prophet Amos. It's one of those passages that always makes you gulp a little when the reader ends with the word of the Lord. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, Jackson just read, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land, the word of the Lord. You could feel the kind of thanks be to God we thank. But yes, part of what Scripture does is to unsettle and challenge, not always give comfortable words. Theologian Reinhold Niebuhr famously quipped that the task of Christian proclamation is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And when you think about it, that's not a bad summary of what Jesus did with the whole of his ministry. Well, there may not be a whole lot of comfort visible in the words of Amos... He does have the afflicted and the downtrodden very much in view all the way through his short book. God has awakened Amos to some cold realities that had set in to Israel's life, its social, economic, political, and religious life, all marked by an injustice. Israel has sold the righteous for silver, Amos writes at an earlier part of his book, Israel has sold the righteous for silver, the needy for a pair of sandals. The very shoes you're wearing, he's saying to the privileged elite, the very shoes you're wearing come at the cost of the poverty of others. This is no longer the Israel of God. It's a pale image and a corruption because Israel has forgotten its deeper calling. And so Amos speaks, and his message is directed to the very pinnacle of power to King Jeroboam himself. Amaziah the priest catches word of it that Amos is directing all of this talk towards the king, and he tries to silence Amos. Go back home. Go back to Judah. Leave us alone here, he says. Prophesy there, but leave us be. But no, Amos says, I can't not speak. I've been awakened to this and called to this. Amos answered Amaziah, I am no prophet. Nor a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And yet, the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people, Israel. You can almost catch a sense that, that Amos has come to this a bit reluctantly, like, I'm not a prophet. I don't stand in that line. I'm a herdsman and I, I take care of sycamore trees, and yet, And yet, God's called me to this and woken me up to this, and I'm seeing things with these eyes, and I can't not speak. Go prophesy to my people Israel, the Lord had spoken to him. And so, with his eyes open to the hard truth of what Israel had become, Amos speaks. St. Benedict was born in what is now Italy, sometime around 480 the son of a Roman noble, as a young man, Benedict, had gone to Rome to further his education. But he was evidently quite troubled by what he found there. Those are the dying days of the empire and the city that was the center of Western Christianity, Rome. It was in a state of serious social decay. And so just as the eyes of Amos had been opened to see how far Israel had fallen from its calling, Benedict, as a young man, was awakened to the decay of a dying empire and the thinness that had set into its Christian vision. And that young man found he simply couldn't stay there in the city. He he couldn't pursue his, his studies there. He craved a deeper life. And so he left. He left for the mountains where he intended to pursue a life of solitude and of prayer. But here's the funny thing. Others had evidently been awakened by Benedict's restlessness. And so, that decaying city with its domesticated Christianity was abandoned by others as well. Soon, rather than being in solitude in the mountains, he was surrounded by others, thirsty for that more. Just as Amos might have been a herdsman who'd been surprised to find himself called to be a prophet, Benedict would have been equally surprised to find himself called to shepherd a community. He'd wanted solitude, but he did it, because that was his call. The first community he founded, though, was really rather a royal failure. In the account related by St. Gregory the Great, Some members of the community even tried to poison Benedict. They were so unhappy with his leadership. Now, whether or not that part of Gregory's account is historically true, there's something striking in knowing that Benedict's first attempts at forming a community failed. They failed, which is actually a really powerful thing to say to us at the moments of failure. Even more striking, though, was that he didn't give up. That the need was still there, the calling was still there. He didn't give up. And so in time, he would write his great rule for community life. That rule offered an alternate path to that decaying empire, a, a, a deep and robust Christianity that stood in stark contrast to the thin, domesticated version he'd been seeing. His rule envisioned a life in which balance trumped excess. Fresh life overcame decay. And while the rule comes out of a world very different from our own, communities around the world continue to take their vision and their shape from it and through it. One of Benedict's rules best known and best loved teachings is on hospitality. Let all guests who arrive be received like Christ, Benedict instructs. Let all guests who arrive be received like Christ, for he is going to say, I came as a guest and you received me. Open your eyes, he's telling them. Recognize that those who come to your doors, whatever their status, whatever their condition, whatever their need, are to be welcomed as if it were Christ himself, a radical vision of a hospitable open door. N.T. Wright calls the parable of the Good Samaritan Jesus' major reevaluation of Israel's boundary markers. Jesus' major reevaluation of Israel's boundary markers. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus, Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers that question with another question, a question reasonably sound to ask a lawyer. What's written in the law? What do you read there? To which the lawyer rightly responds, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So do that, Jesus says. Just, just do that and you will inherit life. The lawyer, though, wants to talk specifics. He wants to make sure he's got everything all in the right place, all the I's dotted and T's crossed. And so he asks, and who is my neighbor? Well, I I don't have to rehearse the details of Jesus' answering parable. Perhaps, along with the prodigal son, the best known in the whole of the Gospels. The neighbor of the man who had been attacked on the road was neither the priest nor the Levite, But rather, the Samaritan socially and culturally despised other. It's not the priest, not the Levite. They pass by. It's the other, the enemy. He's the neighbor. The lawyer can't but admit that this is the case in Jesus' parable. So he says, the one who showed him mercy, he's the neighbor. Go and do likewise. Jesus says, which really does mark the expansion of Israel's borders. Go and do likewise. You must now see with different eyes. That's what he's telling the lawyer. You simply cannot and must not dismiss someone because of their Samaritan ethnicity, their Samaritan religious traditions. You can't do it anymore. And, of course, we could spin that out almost endlessly, couldn't we? Ethnicity and religion, they still play in people's prejudices in defining the other or the enemy. Skin color, sexual orientation, gender, status, age, mental and emotional health or wellness. Weight, people's weight. People who struggle with their weight often feel that the one socially acceptable Prejudice remaining is against people who are called fat. We other people in so many ways. So who is my neighbor? Everyone. But what if they aren't acting neighborly? Because everybody here, guaranteed, everybody here can tell stories of all kinds of people who breached all kinds of lines of neighborliness. I suspect, though, that every Jew and every Samaritan in Jesus' time could tell similar stories about how that Jew or that Samaritan said this or did this or acted in this way toward me. No excuse, Jesus would say, there's no excuse anymore. The boundaries of Israel have expanded endlessly. Now think of what Amos might say. Were he to be asked that same question by King Jeroboam or by the priest Amaziah, who were presiding essentially over a a nation that had lost the compass, lost its way, lost its capacity to have compassion and room for those in need. Your neighbor, he might say, is the needy person whose life you're trampling, so you can buy yet another pair of shoes. Your neighbor is the one you step over or step on, as you seek to fill your own insatiable needs. That's what Amos might have said. That's what Amos might be saying to us. Benedict's vision, again, in his vision, every neighbor is also Christ. His vision, of course, builds on Jesus' own teachings from Matthew 25, that just as you fed or clothed or visited or aided the least of his people, you did it to Jesus himself. This is much more than just doing charitable works, doing more good deeds, right? This is all a fundamental shift that he's calling us to in how we see the other, the outsider, the stranger, even the hardest to love sorts of people, and each other too. May God grant us those new eyes the courage to act when we see, and when we're called to what seems like an unlikely calling, the courage to follow. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. been listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For more information on the Church, or to offer your support for our ministries, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca.